That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Hello, friends and neighbors. To our regular listeners, welcome back to the Bill Press Pod. And to those of you joining us for the first time, a very special welcome. We hope you subscribe to the Bill Press Pod and join us again and again. You know, we'll be studying the significance of the November 2020 election for years, but this much is certain. More people voted for president than ever before. Joe Biden racked up more votes than any winning candidate for president ever. And Donald Trump for any losing candidate ever. So what are Republicans going to do about it? Celebrate high voter turnout while convincing more people to vote for Republicans? Hell no. Just the opposite. Egged on by Donald Trump, they've launched a nationwide campaign of voter suppression, trying to depress voter turnout by making it harder, not easier, to vote. It's a frightening, ultimately anti-American crusade we look into today with two experts. First, investigative journalist and leading author Greg Palast to tell us what he discovered in Georgia, where it all started. And then a state-by-state review of what's going on from Eliza Swearen Becker, who is counsel for the Democracy Program at the great Brennan Center for Justice. First, Greg Palast. Greg Palast, good to talk to you. Thanks so much for joining us here on the Bill Press Pod. Glad to be back with you. So, Greg, I want to talk to you about voter suppression. You've been writing a lot about that. You spent a lot of time down in Georgia. But before we do, Mm -hmm. uh, let me ask you, we're just now um, all recovering from the impeachment trial uh, last week. Uh, I know you followed it. You've written about some of it. Um, Generally, what was your take? Did the Democrats accomplish their mission or did Republicans and Donald Trump walk free? Well, the question is, did he accomplish our mission as American citizens? Did the Democrats and Republicans, what did they do? Obviously, the Republicans punted, (laughs) despite Mitch McConnell's, he's guilty, he's guilty, he's guilty, but I voted not guilty. Okay, all right. (laughs) You know, uh, (laughs) what else did you say? But the uh, one thing we didn't get, and I'm not bitching about the Democrats, they have their political purposes and their agenda. I'm concerned about what we still have to get out on the record. Yeah. And if you've been following at uh, gregpalace.com or with my associate, I've had uh, Zach Roberts, who's been assigned for the past five years to concentrate on infiltrating, getting information on these uh, white uh, white power groups and the Christian power groups. And um, so, for example, one thing it did that the uh, House managers, the, the Dem prosecutors basically picked up from our reporting. Uh, may have sounded small to most people listening, but it wasn't, which is that there was no permit to march from the January 6th rally over at the Ellipse to the Capitol. This is not small. Uh, Donald Trump and Don Jr., Eric uh, Trump and the the rest of the gang, Giuliani and the rest, 
knew that there was no permit to march. And now why is that important? Because the Capitol Police were promised and the D.C. Metro Police were promised there will be no march. Now, you have to understand, to have a march, you have to put up like a $2 million bond and payment to the Park Service because you need cops, you need barriers, you need porta-potties, you need uh, monitors who will make sure that people don't run wild or, or get hurt or hurt anyone else. There's a reason. Okay, so they were so the people, the the sponsors called uh, Women for America First, they're real Trumpsters, but they were horrified. And and all the evidence is uh, they told me internally uh, off the you know, not off the record, but they wouldn't be identified that they, they were shocked and stunned when suddenly Donald Trump says we're marching to the Capitol. Now, you have to understand that they had uh, this uh, uh, crazy uh, uh, alt-right leader named Ali Alexander. He is the founder and leader of something called Stop the Steal. And Stop the Steal, um, Ali Alexander kept saying, we're going to march to the Capitol from the, uh, from the ellipse. And they were sending him messages, and they sent messages to the White House. I guarantee this. They sent messages to the White House saying, it is illegal, it's dangerous, it's crazy, you can't do it, don't do it. And they wouldn't allow Ali Alexander to speak at the rally. Uh, his, By the way, he's kind of a semi-co-host for uh, Alex Jones' Infowars. And yet, uh, Ali Alexander continued, and the White House uh, sent emissaries to position him to lead the march after Trump called for that march. So as someone from the group, remember, this is a pro-Trump group, said, "Yeah, we it's not a big stretch of imagination to know that when you send thousands of really angry and some armed people, unaccompanied, unprepared, down the middle of Washington, D.C., what exactly do you think is going to happen? And so they knew it. Basically, they were, and the fact that they hid it from the sponsors meant that they knew that they were fomenting mayhem. They wanted the mayhem. And now we know from the latest information that literally Ivanka went to beg her father. But what she didn't know is that her, is that uh, Eric and Donnie were part of this planning. This was, you can't, you know, it's one of those things like if you leave a bunch of loaded guns around in a kindergarten and some kid picks it up and pulls the trigger. You say, my God, I never told him to take the gun and pull the trigger. I just left loaded guns around in a kindergarten. Right. Right. You know, it's not my fault. No. Well, it's, you know, but you, so you broke the story. I mean, and yeah. I've seen it nowhere else but in, uh-huh. in your column. And yeah. to my knowledge, and I watched most of that trial, I didn't hear the uh, House impeachment managers raise that issue at all. In other words, no, no, this, Stacey, this was uh, an, an illegal say, march, right? This was yeah, an illegal was, march. It was a, yeah. it was a law breaking event, and actually, Stacy Plaskett, uh, uh-huh. Congresswoman from Virgin Island, um, I guess because no, you know, uh, she brought it up. So she was the one who did use our evidence. Uh, I don't think that people understood how important it is. And there's another thing that that goes behind this, which is that when you uh, when you commit an illegal act, and someone dies, that's called murder. And even if you didn't plan it, didn't pull the trigger, and for example. By the way, a guy named Donald Trump, remember, he went on a on an execution spree in the last two months of his in office. And the last person he had executed was a kid who during who the two people were killed in a robbery. He was eight. The kid himself was 18 years old, was in a car, basically in the getaway car, had no idea 
that his uh, that his cohorts who were committing this robbery were going to kill two people. But they did. He went to the electric chair. An 18-year-old kid who didn't know that there was going to be a, uh, a murder had no nothing to do with the murder at all, but he was participating in a crime that led to it. So Trump participated in a crime that is an illegal, dangerous march, knowing it was completely foreseeable that there would be mayhem. Now, could he say, particularly pick out that a cop would have his head crushed by a fire extinguisher? No, that's not what we're saying. But it's really, really important to know that this was a well-planned law-breaking event. Do you think that this acquittal could come back and bite the GOP in the ass? No. <laughs> really? <laughs> I, think, I think we are now at the point in America where um, kind of, I think we're, you know, we are really at the beginning of a new civil war. And understand that, you know, um, one thing that did not convince most Republicans was that they had a president out of control. And this is a big problem. So that, you know, and it's not, I'm not talking partisanship here. I, if you go down, you know, I spent a lot of time in Georgia. Uh, yeah. Actually, for the past seven, seven years, I've been covering Georgia for the, uh, starting with uh, Al Jazeera and The Guardian, and then Democracy Now! and Rolling Stone. Uh, but, you know, when you go down into rural Georgia, uh, you know, they all they see is is uh, a guy who's standing up for them. They don't see, they don't see a guy who's out of control and, in fact, is abusing and using them. This is not exactly your your average working man's friend. He is, um, uh, you know, he's uh, the demagogue who's picked up. Remember, Donald Trump was basically a Democrat. He was, you know, he took out ads to uh, inveigh against global warming. He supported Planned Parenthood. He was pro-choice. But then he found, but one thing he loves more than any political philosophy at all is applause and love and cheers. And that's what he gets. When I was at, I was at a Trump rally in Georgia. Let me tell you, this is not about people saying this is the guy speaking for us. These are people who actually believe he was sent by God, sent by God. And so even if he appears to be doing things that are crazy, dangerous, illegal, well, uh, you know, they use the phrase imperfect vessel, but it is, <laughs> he's God's, he's God's I, a, a glove puppet. <laughs> in view. I know we think it, you know, no, on the I, coast, we think it's insane. But if you go into, into America, that is you leave the coast, it's, um, it's for real, baby. Yeah. I mean, I think Ralph Reed who certainly knows better, has yes. called Trump, referred to him as an imperfect vessel as well, right? <laughs> yes. All, I that, mean the <laughs> all that sex stuff, just forget it, right? No, he's not perfect, but he's our guy, right? That's right. And so it doesn't matter because God has chosen him as the vessel to save America and, and uh, you know, and, and things like, you know, restoring the capital uh, of Jerusalem, uh, restoring the, uh, the Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. These are real. These are marks of what they consider, um, you know, the fact that he is divinely chosen. Of course, if if they read their Bible carefully, they would know that in Revelations, it isn't the Lord, it isn't uh, Jesus coming back who restores uh, Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. It's the Antichrist. The Antichrist is the one who who says that who makes Jerusalem the capital of of the Jewish nation. So when you were in Georgia, uh, let's let's talk about Georgia in terms of uh, voter suppression, right? Yes. Um, 
so now everybody considers uh, Secretary of State Rathensberger a hero, right? Because Donald Trump tried to get him to commit fraud. Yes. Uh, actually, he was he was a partner in Brian Kemp's effort to suppress the vote down there. Correct. And, by the way, and and the close partner of a guy named Donald Trump in the attempt to suppress the black vote and the Hispanic and Asian American vote, and they really went after the Asian American vote. We had, I can talk about that. Um, you know, so this we have this weird narrative. We talk about false narratives. This weird narrative that this guy uh, Brad Raffensperger, and his name is not Raffensperger; it really is Perger. Raffensperger, who I, by the way, I should disclose that I have sued him twice in federal court, won once already, and expect I'm about to call my lawyer about our current suit. Um, Raffensperger is as um, my lawyer Gerald Griggs, who usually represents the NAACP, says is the Georgia's um, vote suppressor, vote suppressor in chief. You have to understand the things that they did. Number one, by the way, right now, Raffensperger is a guy who just opened up an investigation into Raphael Warnock and to Stacey Abrams, saying that they've committed crimes of illegally registering people. This is a guy who wants to arrest Senator Reverend Warnock, okay, for supposedly illegally registering people. Now, what is the great crime? They said that the New Georgia Project, which he, which Stacey Abrams founded and Warnock took over as president, that they waited more than, are you ready for this? They waited more than 10 days to put in about a thousand of their uh, registration signatures. They registered about a half a million people, half a million. And, and you have to get in the registration forms within 10 days of gathering them. So now they want to put Reverend Warnock in prison because someone who worked under him held those um, registrations for a couple extra days. I can't make this stuff up. And he, are you ready for this other stuff? Um, what, but let me ask yeah. you: Is there is there any legal deadline for when the signature? I, I've done a yeah. lot of a lot of voter registration drives in my life in California. But is there any deadline for when you have to submit the signatures? Yes, you have ten days from gathering them to put them in, and that's to protect the voters to make sure that they supposedly get a chance to vote. You know, you don't yeah, want someone right. gathering you. You know, saying, "Oh, I've I've registered you to vote," and then they throw it in the garbage can. Um, right. But the idea that Reverend Warnock was trying to take uh, take people's votes away is insane, vicious, and believe me, um, you know, we, we know the game. In fact, here's another one. You know, remember, he was handpicked by his predecessor as Secretary of State, Brian Kemp. Brian Kemp, right. Uh, yeah, now Kemp, who's now basically stole his race. Uh, I, I broke that story in Rolling Stone and elsewhere uh, by massively removing, uh, he illegally and wrongly removed 340,134 voters, most of them voters of color. I, 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 the reason I have the exact number is that we went through the names with computers name by name. He said these people left Georgia or left Atlanta and they couldn't vote there. Of course not. If you've left Georgia, you can't vote there. But we found out that a third of a million people were removed who never moved at all, including famously, and she was just on the, uh, the um, uh, what was it, the um, uh, Trevor Noah, um, Christine Jordan, the 94-year-old cousin of Martin Luther King. I was at the polling station when they threw her out. If you go to greatpalace.com, you can see this. Her, her granddaughter is crying hysterically. She says, she's, this woman's voted here for 50 years. Well, I looked up her record. They said that she had moved. I went to the house that they said she moved out of, and there was King's picture on the wall. So, so at dinner at that house. So she had to be there 60 years. You know, This is the games that Raffensperger and Kemp have been playing 
to wipe out the black vote. And, uh, and again, they especially went after – we go into, into the Asian-American vote, right. which is and, the new rising vote. Uh, let's be sure our listeners remember, at that time, Kemp was secretary of state and also running for governor. And as secretary of state, he was purging the vote, right? Right. So here's a guy in chart. He says who gets to vote, where they get to vote, right. how they get to vote, and who counts, whose vote counts. Now, remember, you show up and your name has been – you've been purged. That is, you've been removed from the voter rolls. Well, they give you a provisional ballot if you they're supposed to. They say, here's fill this out, we'll count it. In most cases they don't. It was up to um it was up to uh Kemp and then later Raffin's perjure, these Republican officials. And remember, Kemp is running for governor. He got to say which votes against him could be disqualified. That's how he supposedly won. And Stacey Abrams said, Look, I won. She cited my uh, investigation specifically. She says, look, the evidence is I won, but I won't be inaugurated. And by the way, that's one thing I'm very, very concerned about, Bill, is that there's a new narrative, an even more dangerous false narrative, mm -hmm. which is that anyone who complains about American elections is, a, is somehow uh, that that's an impeachable offense. No, that's right. called journalism. And just because, <laughs> just because Donald Trump says the election was rigged, he was 100% right, and he knows because he rigged it, okay? He just couldn't rig enough votes. In 16, if you see my film, The Best Democracy Money Can Buy, it was pretty clear. He didn't win in 16. So, I, you know, as far as I'm concerned, we should have been out there at the ellipse holding a demonstration saying, this election has been rigged. It's been stolen. That's not unpatriotic. In fact, there couldn't be a higher calling than to identify a theft of an election. So we don't so, want to get the false narrative. The problem of Trump is not that that um, uh, it's you should never. How dare you challenge America's wonderful democracy? That's nonsense. That's bullshit. What the the problem was is that the perpetrator pointed to other people as committing the crime. And what? How did Stacey Abrams, or how did Joe Biden, how did Ralph Raphael Warnock, and how did John John Ossoff win in Georgia, despite all of these Republican efforts to suppress the vote? Well, the good thing about America is that you can't steal all the votes all the time. It, uh, I did a very careful calculation for Rolling Stone because I'm also a statistician by training. Uh, I used to teach statistics, uh -huh. and um, uh, we we came up. It's about you get about six seven. And up to 9 million votes that get suppressed, that is, people cast a vote and it doesn't get counted. That's something we never talk about in America. The, the millions of what they call spoiled votes, it's officially recorded. It's not like I guessed this stuff. And then the number of people who are purged and prevented from vote, voting, legal voters, people who register, never get their registrations put on. In fact, I started in Georgia in 2014 when Stacey Abrams was complaining with Raphael Warnock that they had registered over 50,000 young uh, voters of color. And at six months after they were registered, they were never put on the voter rolls because Kemp said, oh, um, I, you know, we don't have time to add these names. We have to verify their addresses and blah, blah, blah. Six months. And that's, by the way, how a prior Senate race was stolen. Remember, Sam Nunn's daughter was running for Senate um, and against David Perdue, and that's how that uh, that mm. kind of you know mm -hmm. knucklehead became a senator. They wouldn't literally would not put the names of black voters on the voter rolls. 
And then later, after 2018, after that her governor's race was stolen from her, right, is when she turned around and just what? Uh, well, mass- uh, registered more people than they could throw off the ballot, right? Exactly, and and they fought. And it, by the way, so Georgia has the the highest because you know it's the the uh, uh, the. Uh, the place where we that gave us Martin Luther King and his family. It is the most organized voting rights uh, state in America. So that you had massive, massive registration drive, massive turnout drives. Um, it was and they used all kinds of things like one one trick that people don't understand. You, you mail in a ballot. You take a big chance about one in seven mail in ballots never get counted. That's a big number. But what the Democrats did is and Stacey Abrams organization I shouldn't say the Democratic Party because they're kind of brain dead. But Stacey Abrams and and other uh, groups, progressive groups uh, like uh, Zork of Jesse Jackson, um, they were able to get people who had their mail-in ballots rejected to come in and say, "Okay, uh, no, that is my signature. Don't challenge that signature. Oh, I left off. A, I, I made a check mark instead of filled in a bubble. Okay, so I'll fill in the bubble now." So they actually did something called curing. By the thousands and thousands and thousands. So you have to understand that it was a massive work by these voting rights group to overcome the steal, and they did it. They did it. Now, tell us about uh, what they did. We know we've heard so much about uh, their efforts to suppress, particularly the African American vote. The Asian American vote, how'd they go about that? Yeah, because what happened is, you know, Asian Americans, especially uh, Muslim Americans, the, uh, voted Republican. Uh, until 2000, until 2004, really. And um, so the Republican Party left the Asian American vote alone. It was their vote. But then they started voting as if they turned black, uh, running about 75% Democratic in Georgia. And they flipped out. So they started going after the Asian American organizations. For example, there's a group called 10,000 Koreans Vote. Now, for 10,000 Koreans to vote, Korean Americans, you have to register 10,000 Korean Americans. So a group went out and started registering these voters. And once again, Brian Kemp, and then later Raffensperger, first Brian Kemp, uh, never put the, their names on the voter rolls. And so the head of the group, a woman named Helen Ho, uh, called up uh, the Brian Kemp's, the Secretary of State's office, and said, where's our voters? And they said, well, there were no such voters. We never got any such registration forms. They said, oh, we... We know that you got the registration forms because we have the photocopies right here in our office. And they said, okay, we'll be right over. And you know what they did? They brought in the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, their own G-men, kicked in the door, grabbed all the computers and files, and then threatened this Asian-American group with felony counts of voter interference because they had photocopied registration forms. Basically because they were gathering evidence of the state stealing the vote. So this group, they, in fact, they, they, they destroyed the group. The group collapsed because they spent two years waiting to be criminally indicted. Mm. This is the games that they were playing in Georgia. And it's been, and that's just one of the little tricks. And by the way, one, one I especially love is that our, that our, uh, my team caught. I can't. I want to give props to uh, Zach Roberts and others on our team. Raffensperger, the great hero who was lauded on 60 Minutes, he came up with a rule that we call no car, no vote. Um, just before the Georgia runoffs for Senate, because there were these massive registration drives, he said that uh, counties 
don't have to add the name of a voter to the voter rolls if they don't also have a car registered in Georgia. What? Exactly. <laughs> if you don't have a car registered, you can't register oh. to vote. Now they say, now, of course, that's, <laughs> that would be the, the ultimate illegal poll tax. You, know, you have to spend thousands to get a car so you can vote. Yeah. But their excuse was this. They said, oh, well, if you don't have a car, then maybe you don't actually live here. Maybe it's a phony. Mm. And th- this is like, now it got busted, of course. The NAACP went in with the Palest investigative team and said, look, you know, we're going to put you on camera. And, and I want to tell you right now, you know who you're removing. You're removing who doesn't have cars. Well, poor people who can't afford cars, students who don't have cars. And I know one voter who was blocked, my daughter, was a student in Savannah. And, um, and uh, also uh, people live in urban areas who use public transportation. In other words, these are, in other words de- Democrats. They said, you know who you're removing. So no card over. This is the great hero Raffensperger. What I do know happened with Raffensperger is that he tried to disqualify as many uh, Biden votes as he could, block as many Biden voters from the registration rolls as he could, um, closed voting stations in black areas. He did. He was like, like, they, like the NAACP said, he's the, the vote suppressor in chief of Georgia. But it wasn't enough. You can't the not only Stacey Abrams, you have to understand these massive uh, organizational uh, groups like Transformative Justice Coalition. There's groups that you probably haven't heard of, like um, uh, not only the New Georgia Project, but they registered so many people and got so many people to the polls. You just couldn't. They, you just couldn't steal it. If I think if everyone had been allowed to vote, who was entitled to vote, there would have been no runoffs. We're talking with Greg Pallas, investigative reporter and best-selling author about voter suppression and other issues here on the Bill Press Pod. So, Greg, before we go, let me ask mm-hmm. you this. So what you saw in Georgia, mm-hmm. it seems that similar efforts now, the response of, of many Republicans in many red states and the state legislatures is, oh, we had a record turnout and Donald Trump lost and we lost the Senate too. So now- our response is going to be, we're going to make it tougher for people to vote rather than easier, right? We want to, yes. we don't want, the more people who vote, the less likely Republicans are going to get elected. Therefore, we're going to basically do what Georgia did nationwide. Is that the way you see it? Or do you see that trend? Absolutely. In fact, one of the reasons I've been covering Georgia for seven years, as well as the rest of the nation, I start, I always start in Georgia because that's where the GOP takes its voter suppression techniques out for a test drive. And when they work in Georgia, they roll across the nation. As I saw in Florida, you know, I did the story in Florida in 2000 when Bush won, supposedly won against um, Al Gore. They removed because I uncovered that they removed 58,000 black people calling them felons and not one, not a single one bill, not one was an illegal ex-con voter, not one. And they removed 58,000 people. George Bush supposedly won by 537 votes. And what did they do? They rolled out the Georgia, the excuse me, the Florida system of purging voters across the nation. In fact, one of the great horror shows that I'm very, very concerned about uh, after the 2000 election, the Congressional Black Caucus pushed for reforms to make it easier for people to vote. So they passed something called the Help America Vote Act. The Help America Vote Act, in practice, has been one of the number one vote suppression techniques in this nation. We computerized our registration rolls, allowing some of these vote suppressors to math to wipe out 
hundreds, literally hundreds of thousands of voters in a state with a push of a button, which we didn't have until after the 2000 election. And then I see it, what I'm afraid of now is something called the, uh, ironically, the, you know, the John Lewis H.R. Uh, 1 bill, uh, yeah. Voting Rights Act. It has some really dangerous stuff in there, and I hope that they don't pass it. Because it's it's more da- whatever help it provides ain't close to the damage it will create, including endorsement of a system called ERIC, the Electronic Registration Information Center list, which is a massive purge list, and that law says every state must use it. Well, I went through that list in Wisconsin, where they are about to remove one hundred and thirty-five thousand voters based on this ERIC list. This list is supposed to identify people who've moved. We found 100,000 people of that on that list never moved. What they were guilty of is not trying to vote from another state. They were guilty of voting while black in Milwaukee or voting as students out of Madison. We called 800 of them and they said we never moved. So I'm very concerned about, you know, God save us from reform because as soon as we have reform, those with evil intent know how to use and abuse that reform. So be careful. So what you're saying is for Democrats in Congress, before they rush through the uh, For the People Act or the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, um, take another look at it, right? Is what you're saying. Yeah, don't assume that everything that's just because they label something reform, it's about as phony as Raffensperger being a great hero protecting America's votes. You know, we got to be very careful. You know, uh, we don't don't become a victim of marketing. Let's take a look at the facts. All right. And with that warning, Greg Palast, thanks for joining us again, folks. It is gregpalast.com, P-A-L-A-S-T, gregpalast.com. Greg, thanks for your great work. Thanks for your time today. And, uh, you know, keep up the good fight. Thank you. I will, Bill. Again, thanks so much to Greg Palast at gregpalast.com. And when we come back, we'll be talking with Eliza Schwerin-Becker from the Brennan Center. And during this break, we want to ask you again to help out with a very, very important project. You know, look, the inauguration is over, the impeachment trial is over, but that damn fence around the entire Capitol is still there, and it's time, past time, to take it down to restore access to the United States Capitol, the people's building, to all the people of America. So I ask your help in going to the website, don'tfencethecapital.com. Don'tfencethecapital.com. Not just important to the people of Washington, D.C., but to all Americans everywhere. This is your capital. This is your capital building. It should not be fenced in. Don't let the Proud Boys win. Please, again, sign the petition at don'tfencethecapital.com. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. 
With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with BiteClear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Eliza Becker, thank you for joining us. I have to tell you, I'm a longtime fan of the Brennan Center for Justice. As, and as a journalist, I've often turned to you for the latest information on very important issues. So thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So we've just experienced uh, the second impeachment trial of Donald Trump, where the main issue, of course, was that his big lie that the election was stolen um, resulted in the incitement of a mob that attacked the U.S. Capitol. First of all, before we move on, um, this election was not stolen, correct? That's correct. This was one of the most, if not the most secure elections in history. Um, There were no credible allegations of election fraud or irregularities that would have changed the results in any race. Um, allegations about election fraud were debunked in court after court after court and have been debunked you know, over time by academic experts who have shown that instances of fraud are exceedingly, exceedingly rare. Right. Uh, and in fact, uh, 2020 may really end up being known as the election with the largest turnout yet in American presidential history. Yeah, that's right. I mean, voters turned out in unprecedented numbers and they overcame unprecedented challenges, voting during a viral, fatal pandemic. And election administrators really stepped up to the plate also and helped voters cast their ballots in a way that was safe during the pandemic. Right. So the other result or another result, certainly, of Trump's big lie, as you at the Brennan Center pointed out, is not only this invasion of the Capitol, but this rush in many, many states across the country to suppress the vote. You've recently released a a study, results of your analysis. What did you find? We found that in 33 states across the country, that there are at least 165 bills to restrict access to voting. Yeah. Yeah, 165 in 33 states. And that's just as of this week, there are more bills being introduced as the legislative sessions continue across the country. Um, But many of these bills have, 
either by their sponsors in public statements or in the bill language themselves, they draw on that lie that the president has told about election fraud and election irregularities and use that lie as a justification to advance these measures to restrict voting access. So a direct result of Donald Trump's big lie. Yeah, I think so. I mean, anytime we have an election year where voters turn out, there is always the following year an effort to suppress voter access. But this is really unprecedented in 2021 after what we've been through last year. Uh, is this an organized effort? I mean, I don't know. There used to be a group called ALEC, America Legislative Something Council, uh, sponsored by the Koch brothers that, that sent around to various states the same legislation. So you would see it popping up in various states. Is this organized by any group like ALEC or just popping up? It's not organized in that way that I'm aware of. And while we are certainly seeing themes in the kinds of restrictive bills that state lawmakers are introducing, we're not seeing, you know, word for word exact language, mm -hmm. at least not yet. Um, but election law is quite complicated and it's different in every state. It's not really the kind of um, code that you could provide a one size fits all solution to every state in order to make the kinds of changes that are being sought here, whether that's no excuse mail voting or restrictions on sending ballots to voters. The proposals are very tailored to the particularities of the existing election law in a given state. Uh, and are we talking about only red states? We're seeing bills to restrict voting access, not just from red states. We're seeing it from in, in states across the country, including states that are blue or purple. But the vast majority of these bills have been introduced by Republican lawmakers. Uh, and what are the main th things that you see that the states try to do to suppress the vote? The big trend that we're seeing this year are efforts to restrict mail voting. And that is, of course, after last year, so many voters, voters in unprecedented numbers, used mail and absentee voting to cast their ballots safely during a pandemic. And as a result, mail voting is now a target for um, for lawmakers across the country looking to put roadblocks at every stage, whether that's how to get a ballot, um, how to make sure the ballot gets in on time, making sure the ballot gets counted. Lawmakers are trying to put stumbling blocks in each step of the way. And what's the uh, reality about vote by mail? First of all, it's been around a long time. Um, have there been serious problems with fraud with uh, absentee ballots? You're right that vote by mail has been around a long time, and it's largely been uncontroversial prior to last year. That's because voters like it. They like having an opportunity to cast their ballot in a more convenient way. And it's very secure. There haven't been any problems identified with mail ballots. It hasn't been the source of any kind of mail voter fraud or, or anything of, that, of the kind that was alleged last year. So historically, mail voting has been used equally by both parties for the most part, um, and it's been used happily. So this attack on mail voting really seems to be a clear backlash to the widespread use of it last year. Uh, vote by mail is one target. Uh, early voting, another one? Yes. Yeah, so last year, we saw voters take advantage of a number of different ways to cast their ballots. Mail voting was one, but early voting was another. And we're seeing um, efforts to restrict opportunities to vote early in a number of states as well. How about drop boxes? Yes. Um, 
The issue of drop boxes became a topic of a lot of litigation last year, although in many states they had been used, um, again, quite uncontroversially for quite some time. And now we're seeing a number of states introduce bills that would prohibit drop boxes or place limitations on how they can be used. Just prohibit them altogether. Yes. Uh, and um, the... <sighs> The other measures, uh, some states have an automatic voter registration, for example, um, when you get your driver's license or whatever, um, some of those under attack as well? Yes. So automatic voter registration is a policy that's in place in 19 states and uh, the District of Columbia, and it just switches the registration process from an opt-out to an opt-in. So when voters interact with a state agency, for example, the DMV, if they qualify, if they're eligible to vote, they will automatically be registered unless they opt out. Mm -hmm. But there are a couple of states with automatic voter registration that have seen bills to repeal, and that would be in um, Georgia and Alaska. And Arizona, the leg a legislator has introduced a bill to prohibit automatic voter registration, uh, even though the state doesn't have that policy currently. You mentioned Georgia. Uh, tell us about Georgia. Because of Stacey Abrams, I think most of us, if we think voter suppression, we think about Georgia. Um, how? <laughs> what's the story in Georgia? Is it still as bad as it was? And are they one of the states that's still trying to suppress the vote? Yes, absolutely. In, the, in recent weeks, the um, lawmakers in Georgia have introduced a slew of bills uh, to restrict voting access, including a bill to require a photocopy of identification with absentee ballot applications and with absentee ballots, a bill to prohibit the use of drop boxes, for example, a bill to eliminate no excuse mail voting there. Um, so these are bills to um, eliminate policies that have been used successfully in the state to help voters register or to help them cast their ballots safely and securely. Um, so the the efforts at voter suppression in Georgia remain alive and well. Are efforts to suppress the vote aimed at any particular part of the electorate in your study? Well, any effort to restrict voting access typically has a greater burden on voters of color and voters at the margins more generally. So whether that's uh, poorer voters or voters with disabilities, voters who have, for one reason or another, fewer resources. And that those resources might be time. Those resources might be physical ability. Those resources might be um, access to government agencies to obtain the necessary ID. So those are voters who are going to um, have a greater difficulty overcoming the barriers that are put in their way in terms of these voter suppressive laws. So they may not say it or admit it, but it sounds like these state legislatures are directly targeting um, segments of the population that would most likely have a heavy Democratic majority. Would you agree? Well, I think that People to, of color, young people, college students, whatever. Yes, certainly effort. These efforts are intended, I think, or 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 many of these voter suppressive efforts are designed to have a particular partisan outcome potentially. Um, but what we've seen is that um, one these these policies would actually restrict access beyond the whomever is the is the target. So. The population that typically uses male voting the most are older white voters. So mm -hmm. restrictions on male voting access are not just going to hit voters of color, but that those restrictions are also going to burden older voters, white voters, um, who 
you know, may vote differently than than the voting block of voters of color. Uh, and you did mention, and I should ask you about this because this has been a, an issue for quite some time, which is the voter ID, that you have to have some photo ID uh, when you vote. Uh, how common is that now? And, and what's the impact of that requirement? Well, various states have different voter ID rules. Some states don't require ID at all. Other states have strict voter ID requirements. But this year, we are seeing 18 states have 40 bills to impose new or stricter voter ID requirements. And that includes states that don't have any ID requirement at all. There are 10 states that are seeing bills that would introduce new ID requirements. Other bills would make um, ID requirements stricter or limit what kinds of IDs can be used, like New Hampshire would limit whether student IDs could be used. Um, But we tend to see that voters of color are typically less likely to have the required ID to vote in states that do have voter ID requirements. So that is particularly the kind of policy that would disproportionately burden voters of color. Mm -hmm. Um, So what can be done or what is is being done to actually, or are there any measures to expand the vote? Absolutely. So at the same time as we're seeing concerted efforts to limit voting access, we are also seeing hundreds of bills that have been introduced to expand voter access and make it easier for voters to cast their ballots. And as you might imagine, Those policies are directed at mail voting and early voting policies that were very successful Mm -hmm. uh, in their use last year. But we're also seeing other efforts that would ease voter registration, like taking automatic voter registration to new states, or that would restore voting rights to people with past convictions. So restoring the right to vote to those who, because of um, a felony conviction in their past or incarceration, have lost that right. Right. Uh, By the way, I meant to ask you this earlier. Um, With this wave uh, of voter suppression measures in in all the states, 165 you mentioned in 33 states, how does that compare with what we saw last year? Well, it, it, you know, dwarfs what we saw last year. There are nearly four times as many restrictive bills as we saw at at about this time last year. Wow. Um, so so certainly the effort and the interest in limiting voter access is very keen among state uh, lawmakers this year. Okay. So if the Brennan Center wants to, uh, a state comes to you or a governor, uh, secretary of state and says, okay, now what should our state election law look like in order to maxim- to encourage people to vote, make it easier for the most people to vote what what steps should we take what what would you what would your advice be well one of the things i would point to are many of the policies that are in the for the people act or hr1 which is a federal bill that would enact a number of democracy reforms across the country and those reforms include things like automatic voter registration Mm -hmm. online registration, same-day voter registration, um, limitations on purge practices, um, prohibitions on uh, voter caging and other intimidation practices. The the bill includes democracy, the Democracy Restoration Act, which will restore voting rights to people who are living in the community who lost their voting rights because of past convictions, Um, no-excuse mail voting, 
early voting. So these are sort of common sense provisions that many states have adopted, but are but in some states, um, you know, they have not yet included. And this federal bill would implement those policies for federal elections across the country. So there's a there's a great model already out there in the form of HR one that states can begin adopting now, and hopefully that Congress will enact and implement soon. Uh, ideally, ideally, early voting would be what two weeks? Is that sort of standard, or what you think would give people the best opportunity? Different states have different durations of early voting, but at mm-hmm. least a couple of weeks of early voting would be helpful as. As I'm sure most people know, being able to take off time from work on a Tuesday um, and have to wait in line anywhere from you know five minutes to a couple of hours can be burdensome and challenging. And the opportunity to vote um, not on a weekday or to vote on a day that's not election day to distribute the crowds, the lines, um, really helps people exercise that right. Uh, and I'm a California voter, so I get an absentee ballot whether I want it or not. And uh, by the way, I use it. <laughs> and I don't have to have an excuse, right? I don't have to have a doctor's certificate uh, or anything. How many states have gone that far? And is is that the ideal for vote by mail? I believe that at least at the beginning of last year, there were 33 states that had no excuse mail voting. And a number of states implemented no excuse mail voting last year because of the pandemic, recognizing that so many people would want to be able to exercise their right to vote safely from home. Um, There are several bills in play this year that would um, expand no excuse mail voting to states that don't already have it. But yes, absolutely. There's no reason to limit that option to those with the handful of excuses that qualify. It's an extremely popular policy that's really effective and safe and secure, and it certainly should be available to every voter. How about online voting? Um, is, Is that restricted in any way? How many states are using that? I'm curious. Really, no state permits actually voting online. Oh, you said <laughs> online registration, I guess, but not online voting, huh? Yes, that's right. So that yeah. would be the ability to register to vote online. Right. Yeah. I've always uh, hoped that and expected that someday we'll get to on, online voting, but we're not there. We're not there yet. But So it's really up to each state, isn't it, to determine how it's going to run its elections. Uh, but you point out uh, there is a federal role, and um, the recommendations for now are included in this For the People Act, or H.R. 1, passed by Congress last year. Uh, first, I think it was the very first bill in, the, in this current Congress, actually. Um, where does that stand now, and what are its chances? So yes, you're, you're, let me take a step back and say you're right that states have the ability, have the authority to regulate elections in their states, and that's why we see things done differently across the country. And in large part, that helps states cater to their particular voters and their communities. Um, But Congress has authority under the Constitution to write voting laws and to even supersede state voting laws. And that's why we have um, sort of, you know, keystone bills like the Voting Rights Act or the National Voter Registration Act, laws that make um, voter registration easier, laws that ensure that we can vote free from racial discrimination. And Congress is now considering two other um, big democracy reform bills. The first, as you know, is H.R. 1, the For the People Act, which was introduced and passed in the House in 2019 and was reintroduced again as the first bill in in the House this year. Um, The other big uh, democracy bill 
that we expect to see is the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act, right. which is a bill to restore the Voting Rights Act to make sure that everybody can vote free from di- racial discrimination. And that bill uh, has been introduced in the House, uh, hasn't passed the House yet, has it, the voting, John Lewis bill? It passed the House in 2019, but I don't right. believe it's been reintroduced yet uh, this session. I, I see. Uh, there's a lot of talk about, um, well, first of all, the, you tell us, what's the importance of that John Lewis Voting Rights Act? Well, it's really essential, and that's because in part of a 2013 Supreme Court decision, Shelby County versus Holder, which gutted a provision of the Voting Rights Act that established preclearance, which was the process by which certain jurisdictions would have to get their voting policy changes approved by the Department of Justice or a court in Washington, D.C. And those were jurisdictions with a history of racial discrimination in voting. And the Supreme Court in 2013 said that the formula to determine which states were covered, which jurisdictions were covered, uh, Mm -hmm. were too outdated and that Congress needed to come up with a new formula. So the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, among other things, would create a new preclearance formula. It would also identify certain kinds of voting practices that are subject to preclearance no matter what jurisdiction introduced them. And it would establish other transparency and notice provisions. It would um, introduce a different preliminary injunction standard. Overall, it would try to make sure that all of us have an equal and fair access to the ballot box, regardless of race. Right. Uh, And that's the one act that people believe that when uh, it, it, it will get through the House, when it gets through the House and gets to the Senate, that may trigger ending the filibuster uh, if Republicans use the filibuster to block the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. Um, we will see how that uh, plays out. So, uh, Eliza, back in March 2020, President then President Tr- Donald Trump talked about, uh, I think, the For the People Act or some of the measures that were being introduced to make it easier for people to vote. Uh, And as you know, he said, if we ever agree to that, you'll never have a Republican elected in this country again. Um, Mm -hmm. So people are taking that as his direction in many states, aren't they? Well, I think for too long in this country, voting access, voting rights has been a partisan political football. But policies that make it easier for eligible citizens to vote should have nothing to do with partisanship. And it's time for Congress to make participation in our democracy easier for everyone. That includes Republicans and Democrats. And that way, you know, politicians can fight on a fair playing field. They can appeal to voters, try to persuade voters, and everyone can have an equal and fair access to the ballot. And that's really all that H.R. 1 and the John Lewis Voting Rights Act would do. Um, So there's no reason to... um, I mean, I understand the partisan interest that the former president was advancing, but that really should have no place in our consideration of these kinds of policies. And if people are really interested in this issue and concerned about this issue, which I believe they should be because it's so vital to our democracy, uh, what can they do? What what should they do? I mean, certainly they should follow the Brennan Center for Justice for direction uh, (laughs) uh, and advice. uh, but practically, you know, what, what's your advice? What do you want people to do? 
Well, this year, uh, people can call their state reps, their state senators and state assembly members and ask them to support the policies that are before them that would expand voting access and to vote no on the policies that would restrict voting access. State lawmakers mm-hmm. are even more responsive to their constituents than than federal lawmakers, and, and they will take your meetings, they will take your calls. So folks should make sure to make their voices heard, not just in the ballot box you know, no, during November, but with their state reps all, all year round. The other thing that folks can do is also call their federal representatives, their members of Congress and their senators, and say, I support the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. I support the For the People Act. I want you to vote yes on them. And 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 even if you think your representatives generally support those policies, it's great for them to hear from their constituents because it shows them the depth of the support and the both the depth and the sort of widespread nature of the support among their constituents. All right. Good advice. We've got our homework to do. We know where to go. Eliza Square and Becker, thank you so much for joining us. And thanks to all of your colleagues, you and all your colleagues at the uh, Brennan Center for Justice for the great work you do. Thanks so much. And that's it for today's podcast with some very frightening stuff about voter suppression. Fortunately, some good stuff is happening in some states, but we've got to really be on our guard and not let them get away with suppressing the vote. Uh, And meanwhile, we thank you for listening. Ask you again to subscribe to the Bill Press Pod if you haven't already done so, just wherever you're listening to this podcast. Pull up the Bill Press Pod, click on subscribe, and you are in. And then most importantly, please take care of yourselves, wear that mask, practice your social distancing, stay strong, stay safe until we see you on the next edition of the Bill Press Pod.